I'm starting the podcast this weekend asking Paul about his t-shirt. I see from where he's sitting, I stand with. So I ask him, what's the t-shirt say in total? Yes, I stand with Taiwan. Okay, very good. This is Taipei 101, this huge building that's in Taipei. And uh, it's, I don't have a fear of heights that I know of. And in fact, even at this building, I went up, like you go up all these flights. I don't know how many, but at one time it was the largest, the tallest building in the world. And I would go to like the corner where there's windows. And it's like this weird feeling of just kind of dread and, oh my goodness, and dis, disorientation or something. And then I found out you could go off a, high, a floor higher and go outside. So, of course, <laughs> I decided to do that. And that wasn't so bad. That wasn't so bad. Being outside was okay. Uh, I didn't want to, like, lean over or anything. But, uh, but being outside was better than being inside in that corner of the building. And it was just... It was just bizarre, but boy, that's a big building. Oh. Mm. And I've been up, I'd love to go to New York, go up to the top of the Empire State Building, and that's that's tall, you're up there. Uh, but boy, this was something. So there. Well, did you reach any heights this week at Common Sense? <laughs> oh, that's bad. Well, uh, we had, uh, surprisingly, five commentaries. You know, doing these uh, Monday through Friday, we're finding that week after week after week, we're, we're having five commentaries. But uh, I thought some, some fun ones this week, just in uh, Mondays, was downshifting before the cliff. And this is basically uh, in Britain, like a lot of places, so we've talked some at thisiscommonsense.com. We can't keep up with it all, we admit. But we have talked in the past about the Yellow Vest uh, protest in France. And those were really spurred by uh, restrictions, taxes on gasoline, uh, just an effort to fight climate change by making the ability to get to work and back a lot more expensive. And guess what? Working people who you would think the, the government kind of depends on, I think at some point, no. Uh, but, you you know, they weren't too happy about that. And they've been protesting uh, for a, a couple of years now. And it's gotten very little coverage in America. But, um, but overseas, in fact, I bumped into a French uh, reporter doing something. I think we mentioned this on a previous podcast. And uh, she had... I, I, somehow we got into that subject and she was like going, yeah, I see no press here on it. And yeah, but uh, it's a big deal. Well, in Britain, they've promised all these things that they're going to, you know, by this date have no cars that run on fossil fuels and cut down this much and cut down that much. And lo and behold, they can't get there without making people really suffer. And the cost of, fuels go way, way up because the reason we're using fossil fuels is they're the most efficient way to heat homes and run, you know, batteries and, and uh, electricity and so on and so on. So 
it, this is going to happen a lot. And of course, it's nice to see them breaking <laughs> before they hit the wall. But you really want them to stop the car, maybe get out. <laughs> but but if you don't get out, put it in reverse and back up. I like the image for that piece, uh, downshifting before the cliff on Monday. Uh, it reminds me of Yes covers. Remember the Yes? Remember Yes, the rock band yes. covers? Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I remember Yes. That's kind of a roundabout way of saying. You did it. You justified my <laughs> inane reference. Very good. <laughs> We're on a roll, Tim. Yeah, uh, I'm, so I'm barely awake. Shifting. I'm barely awake. Stab <laughs> shifting before the cliff. And uh, and then on Tuesday, speaking of maybe not, not downshifting before the cliff, we had the California experiment. And uh, this is a really insidious kind of uh, communistic type insane mandate to put on, you know, it, it almost seems like Chairman Mao in China saying every you know, landlord will have to do X, Y, and Z from here on out. And if not, then we'll torture them and kill them. Uh, so, but this is California. Uh, and and what they have suggested is that, that businesses would have to come up with their total uh, carbon footprint. And, of course, that means not only what they're producing in terms of energy right there, but what all the products they put into products and all the different pluses and minuses through the, uh, uh, you know, chain. What do you call it now? I've lost my words. Words, Paul. The, uh, the, the economic chain of activity that happens. Um, that's one of the two words. Well, basically, you're talking about the they demand an externalities list for their production processes. The yes, total, yes. They want a total want cost that. of production, including all externalities. Yes, and so basically, they need to call the company that's that's uh, you know pressing their uniforms and find out just exactly how much energy they're using to do it, and so on and so on. And of course, this is insane and. It's not like there's anything really to do with the information except for some bloviated politician to uh, uh, go on and on and on about it. And But it will be a huge cost. And that's what Gavin Newsom and the legislature in California are busy doing. It's literally just insane. It's It's a... It's totalitarianism because it's this completely insane mandate that the government has no, they have no right to this information. If they want to know, go find out. And it also is designed to do what? To drive businesses out of business. I mean, who survives these sort of things? The really big businesses? It's, we constantly have people who talk about the working person and who talk about the poor, and who talk about small business, and everything that comes out of their mouths, and every single, well, those are usually lies, so, but, but every single bit of legislation, all their policy angles are all geared toward things that just raise the cost of everything and destroy people's jobs. 
I mean, th this whole we're going to see in the end and we're and part of it is being brought on maybe faster by the pandemic uh, effect and so on. But we got the fifteen dollar an hour uh, jobs at, at uh, you know, McDonald's and so on, for the most part, in lots of places in the country, most places. And uh, and it's not pretty. It's not it's not really helpful. The price of everything is up enough that that it, it hasn't compensated. They the people working at McDonald's have lost ground, and those jobs at McDonald's are now a lot more likely to just float away into some sort of mechanical. You know, we'll, we'll have AI at the uh, you know at the ready to get you your hamburger or whatever else. And 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 so this, it's nightmare. It it's like they know how to legislate to get us to the dystopian future we've seen in some of these films. Well, you probably haven't been to a McDonald's recently, but I have. Sorry, I, I guess I should apologize for that. But uh, all the ones around here have uh, kiosks that you can pay and uh, order stuff, and it's it's. Uh, Pretty streamlined. It's actually I can't say it's a worse experience for the customer, uh, though the prices certainly have gone up in the last few years. Um, yes. That's an obvious yes. point. It's almost a point where even with the even with the pay raise, McDonald's is no longer catering to the people who could work at McDonald's. I used to sometimes, if you know, if I was really starving and I was in a hurry and I'm out and about running errands, I might swing through McDonald's, and it's like I always would think, how do they make any money? Because I'm swinging through here to get a Coke and something to munch on for like two or three dollars. And you just can't do that anymore. You can't go get a couple of things for less than five dollars at McDonald's. And and so I, I uh, well, I guess the good news about that is I don't spend much time at McDonald's. So so there you have it on on Wednesday. We had uh, we both love this title, a gun with his name on it. And this is uh, this is fun. I almost don't want to give too much of this away, but uh, there, there was a little uh, a little post on X. X marks the spot. Uh, Twitter, the uh, the social media formerly known as Twitter, and um, and it was about Donald Trump wanting a gun, possessing a gun. Can he own a gun? And uh, it, it's interesting. There's links to more info on it. And I, I think a lot of people have probably seen the story, but it hasn't been as big as some. But it was very quickly a big rush about illegality. And what it turns out is that it is illegal for people who are under indictment to possess firearms. And it strikes me that that's... That law isn't any law at all that you can't restrict somebody's fundamental First Amendment right uh, or Second Amendment right, excuse me, once removed uh, without a conviction. It's not like, oh, yeah, we're pretty sure he's guilty. No, you've got to get all the way to conviction. This is like uh, civil asset forfeiture. This is like Second Amendment forfeiture. And uh, it doesn't seem right. And look, you know, we need to you know, there's some people that obviously we don't want a ship shipment of guns arriving at their home. But, you know, if, if they're super dangerous, I suspect I, I suggest that we have police like looking around. And if they're super dangerous, the truth is 
you can usually hold those people. This is much more of a some sort of little footsie. You know, this isn't this. You're not you're not going to court to say, hey, you cannot pick up a gun to some mobster. This is something you're pulling with somebody like Trump where you're not really worried. But anyway, but go see a gun with his name on it and uh, you can get all the details of uh, maybe Hunter Biden and uh, Donald Trump will share the same uh, jail cell. I don't think so, but probably not. But, but there yeah. is a gun that you can buy from Glock that has Donald Trump's name on it. And that's pretty cool. Yes. yes. And that was the gun after all that he, yeah, now, he left. He left it. That's probably the only reason he cared, cared about it, but still, still yeah, pretty cool. It had his name on it. It's a cool story. And then we have our, our feel bad, except, you know, as bad as I feel, this is, this is not all that difficult a problem to solve because it's one that mankind has been solving throughout our entire history, sometimes better than others, which has had an impact on that history, but it's bad math, Baltimore. And the stats came out, Baltimore's high school, they took the state math exam. They have four categories. They don't have anyone in the entire city who's in the top category in math. We're talking thousands of students. No one's in the top category. And there were 13 schools that did not have a single person in the proficient category, which is what they consider to be the minimum knowledge to say, okay, this person knows a little bit about math. 13 schools, that's 40% of the schools do the math, I never did, but 40% uh, of their high schools, not a single person. So if you're wanting to like cheat off your neighbor, <laughs> you're screwed. There's nobody to cheat off, uh, apparently. And, uh, and then you kind of think, okay, so maybe there's some really terrible, horrible areas, but what about the best schools in Baltimore? In the five top performing schools, 11, I think it's 11.7. So let's call it 12% round up. 12% uh, of the students who took this test were deemed to be proficient. Again, none in the top category of like, you know, mastery of the subject. Um, this, you can't run an old railroad with this kind of knowledge, lack thereof. Uh, a, a complex technological society. What do, what do people who don't know anything about mathematics, about, you know, the language, about other things, what do they do? Well, they don't have very good jobs and they don't, they don't tend to, spur ahead uh, a healthy, wealthy, wise, happy society. Uh, they spur ahead a helpless society for the most part. And I point out in this piece that the saddest thing is that there's, this is, we, we know how to solve this. You know, if, if, uh, if parents teach their kids, if they have schools to reinforce stuff and they, and, and look, not every kid is, uh, they could have, they could have 
all kinds of learning disabilities that could have other problems. People have problems. That's not what this is about. This is about dysfunction from A to Z. This is about just a hugely high percentage of dysfunctional families in a public, which, which you know, there's only so much we can do about that. Um, but there are things that people can do if they care. And, and a completely dysfunctional school system that basically has spent a zillion dollars and not helped anybody. I mean, that's, that's kind of what it is. And, and, and when you say, when I say hasn't helped anybody, <laughs> like no one ever, I didn't say ever. But if we're talking about this last school year and these tests, no one, pretty much no one. And that is, that's a sign that it's not just that you're working in really tough environments. It's a sign that you're working with, you know, what are you bringing? Not much of anything. And that's the public school system. And if you really care about kids, you have to confront that reality. And and we have a society, media-wise, otherwise, that largely doesn't confront that. But that's, uh, that, that's what we pointed out in this piece, that um, – what we're doing through the public schools in Baltimore, at least. And of course, this is not, I mean, uh, would we, you know, we'd be lucky if this was the only place it's happening. It's happening all over. Um, this is, this is fixable. Um, but it's not, there's just not much of any progress happening. And of course, when the pandemic hit and, and the chips were down, this was the worst area. It was the area of our society that was the safest and it was the area that shut down the most of all the workplaces in America from what I have read, I'm sure that there may be varying studies, but the studies I looked at and the, and the things that I've read, the safest workplace in America during the pandemic was the classroom. And it was the most shut down because of the political power of the teachers' unions. And we could turn this into a teachers are good, teachers are bad. Um, it's got nothing to do with teachers. It's got to do with teacher unions, and it's got to do with politicians, and it's got to do with political power, and it's got to do with unions and big money. And at the end of the day, if they're not held accountable, which they're not, then this is what you get. And this is what you get in Baltimore. But there but for the graves of God go I in so many places in this country. I mean, we I remember writing years ago, it must have been a decade ago, Tim, about the situation in Atlanta schools where they started to give bonuses and stuff to try to get teachers to get more kids to pass and graduate high school. And they just started to make it all up so they could get the money. This is, and, and you can say, well, what terrible people. But it, it's like a lot of things. There are really good people that you can put in terrible situations. They're going to be fine because they're just really good people. <laughs> I don't know how many of them are out there. Then there are really terrible people that you can put in the best situation. And thank goodness there, goodness there are more of those. But they're going to screw it up no matter how nice the situation is. But most of us 
it's if the incentives are pointed the wrong way and they're pointed all pointed that way and they're pointed hard that way, we tend to go that way. And when you tell it's like it's like I don't think everybody's a thief, but, you know, we're going to have more thieves if you watch the six o'clock news and you're constantly seeing people take fur coats out of, out of stores without any consequence. I mean, at a certain point, you're almost throwing the gauntlet down to someone that, you know, their girlfriend's going to start going, where's my, where's my coat? Come on. It's like you cannot allow the incentives to be that distorted and not expect that you're going to get super distorted results. And, um, we're a we're a first world country with a third world education system, um, and and people can argue that, but you know it's not by how big the buildings are or how nice and new they are or anything else. It's you know if you're feeding into the engine uh, a bunch of kids that you don't care whether they learn or not. Um, guess what? They don't learn. And uh, and and there's not a whole lot to do after that. Well, that leaves only Friday's piece. Tell me it's good news. Well, it is good news for a change. I like the title, sort of. It's an odd title, Paralyzed Man Moves. You know, we just talked about failure and poverty, not just economic, but mental, uh, uh, societal. We just talked about underperforming and and the how sad what's happening in Baltimore is and how it doesn't have to be. And then we go to this story, which is basically that scientists are figuring out how to get our thoughts in essence or our impulses in that, but th that's what they are, to push and through machines and other bits of technology to restore movement, to paralyze parts of the body. Um, this is, is just unbelievably amazing. And, um, and so it's, go read it. It's a, you know, uh, there are a lot of people who've had just horrific things happen to them. And, you know, your heart just bleeds. And then you think about them regaining you know, you think about how beautiful sight is, somebody regaining sight. You think how, how wonderful it is that you can stand up on your own two feet and and walk somewhere and, and that, that you have that independence and control. And then you think of losing that. And then you think of people using their heads and bringing that back to you. That is neat. And that's the world that we can have. I started to, to say at the end of the script and because it ends with something like, uh, I shouldn't give the end actually, but I talked about what a wonderful world we have. And, and, uh, and I kind of felt like at the end, I didn't write it, but I felt several times about saying, and politicians don't screw it up, but of course they're going to try. So that's why we're here. Well, certainly politicians screwed up the biggest medical issue of our time. So there's that. I mean, this is thankfully this isn't the biggest issue of our time. They didn't they didn't have an opportunity to. Uh, but there is also a there's a sort of a kicker on it. It's it the story is even better than you made it sound. So people should read the piece. Uh, I, th I thought it was an interesting uh, interesting story. Yes. And um, well, that was five days a week. Uh, like you said, your their pieces at thisiscommonsense.org. 
I didn't introduce this podcast. It's this is common sense. Oh, it's this week in common sense. Uh, you're Paul Jacob. I'm Tim Vercolo. We're we're chatting about the. Well, we're learning work. so much at the end of this podcast. There's so much information packed in. Yeah, there you are. <laughs> I uh, I'm so sleepy that I, I'm amazed that I can actually put two words together. So that's that's how it goes. But uh, well, then we'll have to. We'll, well, I don't know about you, but I'm. I think some of it is is stuff we've been working on that we will talk about maybe next week. Maybe next week on the podcast. But we have been. Uh, We've been burning the candle at both ends. Uh, so working okay. hard. Okay. I think that's it. Yes. Very cryptic. Yeah. yeah. What will the paper say? Mm-hmm.